0: Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two.
1: Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. You know, today we are going to be talking about a subject that if you are impacted by it, it's all you think about. I've been one of those people who've been impacted by this issue, and I can tell you it keeps me up at night. And today we're going to be speaking to Dr. Sukal. She's a practicing nephrologist in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and we're going to talk all about what keeps us up at night with this mystery that I'm talking about. Uh, So welcome to the show, Dr. Sukal. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. So um, before we get into the mystery of what keeps you up at night, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I love nephrologists because we need more of them, and I'm so grateful that you chose the kidney care community to come
0: um, You know, care for us. Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm a, a general nephrologist, and as you said, I practice in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I did my training at the University of Michigan, and I currently practice and see patients at the Ann Arbor um, VA healthcare system. And I do kind of a smattering of things. I train fellows. I take care of patients on hemodialysis and peritoneal dialysis. And I also see patients with chronic kidney disease not yet on dialysis in our in our clinic.
1: You know, people often aren't aware that there's different stages of kidney disease. and And it's so interesting you brought that up because some doctors specialize in certain aspects of care more than others. Like there's a local nephrologist who, you know, he has a lot of home hemo patients, and that's kind of what he specializes in. So it's good that you explain that. Um, I want to move into this mystery. When did you first experience uh, your patients having the symptoms? And I think we can reveal what it is.
0: Sure. You know, I think The first time was when I really started seeing patients and taking care of patients on hemodialysis in 2019, when they started to talk to me about the itching that they've been having. You know, I didn't really think about it much before then when patients started to tell me about it. And part of my research had been or now has been on itching, both in dialysis patients and in patients with advanced chronic kidney disease. And lo and behold, it is occurring way more often than I think we give it credit for. Well, I
1: think what happens, and you know, this has been something that's been on discussion boards, and we mm-hmm. talk about it as support groups all the time. Like one time a patient came forward, well, hey, if you put some witch hazel together and you put yeah. some isopropyl, I mean, you're basically burning the skin um, to stop it from itching. So these discussions come up all the time because... Uh, we don't think there's a solution, mm-hmm. and and that's why it keeps us up at night. <laughs> I, I always refer to people who don't understand what it feels like. Just think that you were bit by all these mosquitoes
0: mm-hmm.
1: on your, I mean, they're little ankle biters that are out in California right now. They'll keep me up at night. Um, and you, it's just this itch that's all you can think about is scratching. Yeah. And it's a very, very frustrating f- symptom. How prevalent has this been recognized now by
0: um, the community? So it's, a, it's actually quite prevalent um, and very common for people who are on dialysis to itch. And statistically, studies have shown that it's nearly 40% of patients who are on dialysis have at least moderate itching. And when I say moderate, it's kind of a... It's a measure of intensity, the subjective measure of intensity, but many more patients have at least some itching so it's it is quite prevalent in both in patients on dialysis and in patients with not on dialysis but with pretty advanced kidney disease as well. So it's not isolated to just one population
1: well, and it's interesting because there's like there's mild, moderate, and severe, and I always like that when you're in the hospital, they come in they say what is your pain level? One to 10. And you're like, huh, I kind of forget because I'm in pain and I'm not thinking too clearly. Uh, but I'll just throw a number out there. So um, I, I always go for like six or seven when I'm in really bad pain because I don't want to suggest that it's as bad as I think it is. So um, it's,
0: an, it's a subjective measure, just like you said. That's exactly right. And that can kind of make it a little bit difficult, I think, for for others to understand and for us to kind of measure it for ourselves. So as you mentioned, kind of mild, moderate, severe, all kind of different levels of intensity that is a subjective measurement. And exactly like you mentioned, just kind of that pain scale. And sometimes when physicians or other healthcare providers are assessing itch, they may even say if you could rate your itch on a severity scale of one to 10 and have you kind of mark a line there, things like that. So it's very similar to those scales.
1: Would you say that severe itching is when you're actually scratching your skin so hard that you're hurting it? (laughs)
0: Yes, I think that would be a good definition, right? (laughs) Right. Absolutely. You know, I think when the itch becomes so intense that as you're scratching, you're breaking the skin and you're creating these abrasions and sometimes even making yourself bleed and you know, this kind of comes into other complications that can result from this because when you're scratching so much that you end up bleeding, you can cause um, potential for local infection. You can cause scarring and even sometimes nodules and and these kind of bumps can appear. So it is a, a pretty localized thing. So it doesn't necessarily have effects on you know other other organs or other parts of the body. But when you're scratching so severely it can absolutely be pretty harmful to that local area. And I would absolutely categorize that as severe. It's, it's uh, yes, that that's very clearly a, a pretty severe manifestation of, of itching, I would say.
1: Well, and, you know, those little bugs are running around. Um, that staph infection,
0: mm-hmm. I always
1: tell people who have kidney disease, I mean, no matter what, if you have an open wound on your body, you need to cover it. Mm-hmm. Because staph is everywhere, Um, there's all these staph resistant bacteria. They're just looking for a host and I'm not in the mood to give free rent to one of those bugs. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful when you scratch your skin and injure it because it's, it can be a portal.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're absolutely
1: right. Um, you're absolutely right. I know. And it's, it's, we're getting, you know, resistance, so. Uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of gold. Um, Mm -hmm. um, So would you say that itching is more prevalent
0: in a certain part of the body? You know, it it can be. So the areas of skin that are usually involved are often larger areas, and it typically occurs on both sides of the body. And where we've seen it the most is it can affect the back, the face even, chest, forearms. But, you know, I have a patient on dialysis now who really, it affects him on his legs. So it's it's different for each person, but it usually affects kind of larger areas of skin. Well, uh, when I had the severe
1: itching, it was on my belly. Okay. And and I would actually, the way that it, not that I would punch myself in the stomach, but the only way I could get a little relief instead of itching was to like kind of hit my stomach for a second, like just kind of slap it hard. Okay. You know, and then I'd get rid of the itch for a second. You know, it was weird, but it was like we do all these weird things, um, and then people see us in public. And thankfully, when (laughs) I was doing it, uh, there were no Mm -hmm. cell phones. (laughs) But uh, just imagine, people could do a cell phone, and you could go on YouTube, and then the whole world thinks you're nuts. Um, And, you know, it was just because I was itching, and I decided to hit myself. So um, uh, (laughs) a little crazy
0: there. Why is itching worse at night? That's a, that's a great question, um, and I don't know if we at, we know the absolute answer to that. But you're exactly right; it is often worse at night. Um, and you know, sometimes I think about it such that you know, at nighttime, our our minds are quieting, and sometimes the thing that our is bothering us that may have been bothering us all day, but we hadn't been giving it so much attention. Now is kind of at the forefront as. We're not thinking about other things. We're not doing other things or being distracted in one way or another. Um, And that's when kind of the sensation really becomes pretty strong. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as kind of a, maybe like a a chemical explanation for it, I don't think we know the details of it just yet, but you're, you're very right that in many people, it, it is often worse at night.
1: Well, and, you know, I think about that because, you know, I've had a hip replacement And Mm -hmm. my surgeon said, if it hurts at night, it's time to get it replaced. Mm. And it was interesting because he, and it did, it started keeping me up at night. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it was because the hip was spasming at night from so much stress during the day when I walked on it. It kind of relaxed Mm. for a second. And then it throbbed. And I'll never forget that because he said, you know, that's when you'll know. And I mean, lo and behold, you know, I got it replaced. It's fine. But there's something about when your body relaxes, it actually, because you're so preoccupied during the day doing things, you're not fully aware of your body. Right. Um, And I think that may be a theory. I don't know. Just throwing it out there
0: yeah I think it's a very um reasonable theory, and it holds true for for many things in addition to itching, just like you mentioned
1: well, and it's you know whenever we talk about itching, okay, mm-hmm. the next word that comes out of anybody's mouth is what is your phosphorus?
0: Mm, right
1: <laughs> right? yeah, so does a high phosphorus play a role, diet, you know, taking your phosphate binders what how does that play into itching and um, I guess the other official name for it guys
0: is pruritus, but I call it itching. right <laughs> sure sure um, and you're right itching and paritis kind of the same thing used interchangeably much easier to say itching and you know I'm so glad that you asked this question because you know previously historically literature has kind of talked about the implication of a high phosphorus level in itching and there thereby came all of these recommendations oh, you know, you're, you're having itching, we got to get your phosphorus de- down, we need to have you talk with a dietitian and take all these phosphate binders. And, you know, many of those studies looked at phosphorus levels and, you know, sometimes if it's very at an extreme level, so extremely high, which is not the majority of patients, you know, sometimes that had been implicated. But recently and more, the majority of studies and more recently have actually found no relationship between paritis and high phosphorus levels. And so when we talk about diet and phosphate binders, I wouldn't say that unless, you know, your phosphorus is through the roof, I don't think that they would necessarily be helpful just based on the, the research that has been done, um, lately, but you will see kind of historically these recommendations being made and changes can be a little bit hard to come by in, in the, um, in the medical world. And so I think these recommendations carry on, even though more recent research is is refuting that a little bit. So I think you'll still see these recommendations about phosphorus and, you know, adjusting diet and things like that. But I really, I don't think it is playing as big of a role as people historically thought.
1: Well, and, you know, I always remind patients and family members that it's a medical practice and they're practicing on us right now Mm -hmm. so there is technology that they promoted for like calcium levels and things in the 90s and early 2000s that are not current today because we learn more and so we have to change our mindset Um, uh, pretty much uh, five years ago if you said you were itching People say, oh God, she's the ba- patient's gone non compliant, not taking their phosphate mm-hmm. binders. And it's our fault, right. which really, really makes me angry. Sure. Because this illness is hard enough and the diet's very restricted. And now they're coming out with some guidelines like, okay, you know, it's okay if you eat a little more phosphorus now because we want you to have more protein. It's impossible to have a high protein level. With and not eat the phosphorus, so I mean it's, it's, You're exactly right. it's very frustrating as you got to be flexible guys when you have kidney disease and mm-hmm. and and, um, and be your own advocate that's for sure but um, absolutely it's tough because uh, and then there's other things that can play a role but in the meantime, um, you know when I was itching. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. I would be prescribed a Benadryl, and that's a common treatment because I think we've learned a little bit more, but mm-hmm. um, Benadryl is tr- is to treat allergies and an inflammation process on the skin or in the body, right. I guess. I'm not a doctor. I'm just giving the layman type of—and um, it would make me so sleepy and so yeah. tired— and my skin would feel drier. It would be thirstier, um,
0: because it's it's an antihistamine. That's what it does. It dries mm-hmm. you out. Yep, you're exactly right. And I think you know that probably was a common practice, mainly because it was almost like a reflex. I think for many people. But you know, looking at what people have studied, antihistamines are there's almost no evidence. I guess I should say for antihistamines being useful for kidney itch. Now, kidney itch. Is, is a diagnosis of exclusion. So if it it could be due to histamines, but if you try Benadryl and it really doesn't work, then you can kind of take that out of the question. And so antihistamines have not really historically been helpful for kidney itch. Um, what I will say is that if potential risks are low in a particular patient, they don't have significant side effects, it's it's okay to try it, but I wouldn't have a high expectation of it helping with kidney itch in particular. And if they are having you know, kind of side effects of excessive sleepiness and things like that. Probably not worth taking if it's not helping, as you pointed out.
1: Well, and the thing about Benadryl is, and I, I, I remind people of this, is, is it was a prescription drug when I was young. Mm. And, and it makes you sleepy. Yes. And, and you have to be very careful, I believe, with drugs that make you sleepy. Because they can impair your ability to do things. Um, you might need one if you, you know, you're at night and you need, you know, your, your, your nose is stuffed. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But to take it, yeah. a drug that makes you sleepy to potentially mm-hmm. treat something else is, uh, unless you're trying to sleep. You know what I'm saying? Right, <laughs> like like, right. It could be very dangerous. It could be very dangerous. And, you know, I hear a lot of people get IV Benadryl during dialysis because they want to sleep. But I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, you really need to talk to your doctor about it because it may be making you more tired when you get off the machine. <laughs> um and I refer to Benadryl yeah. as excuse my French bitch serum because it makes me tired and when I'm super tired, I'm cranky. Sure. And and it's this this sleepiness that you It takes a day or two for it to get out of my system for me. So if I ever have to take a Benadryl, I put a warning on my, I wear a warning (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt.
0: I hear you. And you know, the other thing is people may think Benadryl helps because when they take Benadryl, they sleep. And when they're asleep, they don't itch. But it's not really getting at the root as to what is causing the itching.
1: And it could be impacting other parts of your life if that's your regular plan because, you know, you can't treat something with just, oh, let me sleep more. And then, you know, 100%. I'll be okay. So, yep, um, exactly right. you know, and then, you know, we also get treated because we have, you know, when you're on dialysis or have kidney disease, when you take medicine, whatever it is, your skin's going to be dry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's extremely important for everybody listening to find a good moisturizer. I don't care who you are. If you want to keep your skin healthy, find a good moisturizer. Um, Because I think we need a little extra when we have kidney disease because of the medications or the drying out of dialysis sometimes uh, just for good skin health. But that doesn't help the kidney itch. (laughs) Uh, It just makes your skin feel better.
0: (laughs) Right. And you know what I would say is and there's no kind of causal relationship. So what I can say is we have seen – that itching is very frequently accompanied by dryness of the skin. And so they have seen that about 70% of people on dialysis who have been, as they categorize them, moderately bothered by itching are also bothered by dry skin. We are unable to say if, you know, one causes the other or anything like that. But we also kind of right in line with your recommendation, moisturizers are recommended usually at first in kind of a tiered treatment approach to itching. Because in cases, as we said, you know, this is a diagnosis of exclusion. And since so many people suffer from dry skin also, if a simple moisturizer does happen to help, there is absolutely no harm in it. And so it should always be trialed. It should always be kind of used and in conjunction with whatever other treatments may be offered to the patient. Um, So I'm right in line. I think a good moisturizer can go a very long way. It is. And you have to apply it when you get out of the shower, guys.
1: Uh, yes. <laughs> best time to, to apply it. Um, so mm-hmm. let's let's talk a little bit about this new treatment that has come out. Um, you know, I always love innovation. Um, you know, I'm a product of innovation. And um, there's been a new drug called Corsuva that has come out to help, help with this kidney itch. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it?
0: absolutely so this is a cap it's what is called a kappa opioid receptor agonist and it sounds probably like a bunch of jargon and it is but what it is is that in the in the research kind of trying to find out what causes itch opioid receptors have been implicated and so um, you know kind of like when people take pain medicine strong, very strong pain medicine some people can get a side effect of itching and that's where kind of the research started with these receptors. So this, this acts on that system and has been recent, been recently approved for basically a weight-based IV administration towards the end of a dialysis treatment in hemodialysis patients. Um, And so, you know, this um, is in line with other kind of well-known treatments. And I should say well-known because I've done so much research on it. I don't know how well-known it is Kind of to um, everyone else, but gabapentin and pregabalin are oral medicines that are typically prescribed for kind of nerve related issues, mm-hmm. um, specifically nerve related pain. And pruritus or itching has, we know, has a lot to do with kind of abnormal sensation of nerves. And so studies have shown that gabapentin and pregabalin are very good treatments. For pruritus pari- for or itching, doesn't work for everybody, but it, it is very good as far as um, treatment options are concerned. And so, this new medicine kind of has a potential benefit, if you will, of IV administration so that it's not necessarily another pill someone has to take. It is reliably administered with dialysis. So, as far as people forgetting to take pills or things like that, you know, there's a little bit of an advantage there. And it is, as we mentioned, just recently approved for kind of treatment of kidney itch.
1: You know, when you're on dialysis, because this is only available for people on hem- hemodialysis right now. Right. Not people for who are on peritoneal. Um, That's right. Is it like an injection at the end or is it an IV drip? What, How, how, how is it
0: administered? That's a great question. Um, it gets administered into the um, IV line of dialysis, into the venous line of the dialysis circuit. So it's not an injection into the skin or into the body. It's basically into the dialysis circuit, and by there, it gets into the bloodstream.
1: And so it's just like a EPO injection or something like that. You just yeah. you push it in, and it's, it's done. It doesn't have to drip. You're exactly right. It is a bolus injection. You okay. got it. And is it given every treatment, or how often? Um, it is given at the end of each treatment. You are correct. So how long does the patient get the treatment for... Uh, The kidney itch?
0: I would imagine they would only get the treatment for as long as itching occurs. However, once the itching is gone, it may be because they're on the medicine. So what I would probably do is once the itching has resolved, I would potentially trial them off of it. If the itching comes back, then I would probably keep them on for for longer than I would have initially and and potentially for as long as their itching is gone in all honesty. Um, Because, you know, side effects need to be assessed, of course, in every patient. But if side effects are minimal and the benefit is great, as we know, you know, how disrupting um, the itch can be, then I would probably just keep them on it. Um, You know, that's so true
1: because you feel better and then all of a sudden you don't know why. And I mean, that's very prevalent with my hemoglobin. Like, I take it for granted that my hemoglobin, Mm. oh, I feel good. And then, you know, I had some blood loss and in the hospital and and I'm feeling tired and I'm like, oh, because of uh, something's changed and it's mm-hmm. not something I can always see. Um, so right. it's it's a little more challenging. Um, what what questions should a, somebody ask their doctor if they may be suffering from itch?
0: You know, I think the most important thing is they make their providers aware of it. Uh, research of that has actually shown that providers are not frequently or routinely asking their patients about itch. Nor are patients really mentioning it. I think a common misconception is that their itch is not related to dialysis or that there's nothing that can be really done about the itch, and so they may not mention it either party. And so I think if somebody is experiencing itch kind of being loud about it, just making it known and not hiding from it or not hiding the fact that they are itching, mentioning it not only to their dialysis provider but also the nursing staff and sometimes social work and the dietitian, mainly because these dialysis um, providers work as a team. And if someone hears it, but maybe doesn't act on it, but somebody else hears it and it comes up in discussion, you're more likely to get, I think, better traction if you mention it to kind of multiple um, members of your healthcare team. And so I think once they are aware of it, it'll likely prompt the dialysis provider to ask more detailed questions about it. Where is the itch located? And again, you know, kind of assessing that severity we talked about in the beginning of how intense the itching is, how disruptive it is to their lives and things like that. Because our research research has definitely shown kind of worse clinical outcomes. And by that, I mean, you know, more increased uh, risk of hospitalization and things like that and definitely worse quality of life. Well,
1: you, you know, I actually had a friend who scratched herself so bad that... Mm. Um, you know, her skin was bleeding. Um, And if you're on, if you're on hemodialysis, um, it's, it's no secret, but you take, you get heparin (laughs) and, um, and, you know, and if, if you've been on prednisone, like me, your skin's pretty thin. So you don't have a lot of room for error when you start scratching. It's um, and, you know, then you look like you're ready for Halloween um, when it's in this, you know, you want to wear a cute dress during the summer, um, but you yeah. look like so, um, and, and as you said, those, you know, scratch, you know, can become infected, mm-hmm. um, and those can cause all kinds of issues. You know, I had one other thought too that I, I wanted to just express before we wrap up. Um, mm-hmm. I've witnessed that there is a lot of guilt among patients who, who, are told they have a high phosphorus because mm. they think they are not, you know, managing their diet well enough and nobody's perfect on their diet. I've never come across anybody. Sure. We all color outside the lines, but yep. um, you know, I want everybody to just really think about itching. And if your phosphorus is a little bit elevated, you know, don't think you're the cause this c- there could be another reason that you're itching than the phosphorus being high. Because we've been programmed to Mm -hmm. think that what we eat is causing our symptoms. And so we feel responsible for it.
0: Boy, I'm so glad you mentioned this. I feel exactly the same and along those same veins because I'm worried that if patients are feeling this guilt that, oh, if I say that I'm itching, they're going to blame it on the phosphorus and it's all my fault. I don't want that to be a, a reason that patients don't speak up. And, you know, the research doesn't lie. We really have not seen that association. And so, even though it might take some time to kind of change this perception, I'm glad that you're mentioning this and making a point to say that you're exactly right. Mildly elevated phosphorus levels are not going to be the reason that somebody is itching. Exactly.
1: Because, I mean, oftentimes anything on the lab values that relate to diet is Mm -hmm. our fault. And we need to understand that you know science has changed. I mean, I love the fact now that they're saying some phosphorus that we thought was in foods isn't actually in foods like in a can because the 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 fluid is kind of getting the phosphorus out. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of new things we've learned over the years. Um, and I think it's really important for people to understand that, we have to eat a renal-friendly diet. And sometimes it's just really confusing because we have to make choices. And for me, when I practiced on dialysis, a renal-friendly diet, I really needed to keep my albumin up. That was one of my goals because I know albumin helps you, you know, can ward off infection Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: it's really important. So, Sometimes you have a little elevated phosphorus level when you have a good albumin level. That's just the reality of it. Right. And so they're learning more about it, and some doctors are coming out saying, you know, hey, I'd rather a, a patient have a higher phosphorus level um, and have good nutrition. So yes. we're learning, and you and the key is is to just be a partner in your care. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, this has been really wonderful. I think it's great that there's an actual treatment for something that patients are experiencing. And I I really appreciate all your research and dedication to people with kidney disease. I mean, um, you know, we dialyze to live not live to dialyze. And itching can
0: sure ruin your day. Absolutely. I I completely hear you. And thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we were able to have the discussion and hopefully spread the word um, amongst your peers and patients alike. And I'm hopeful that if somebody is suffering, that they feel more apt to make it known because there are things we can do about it so they don't have to be suffering forever. Definitely.
1: We'll, well, have a wonderful day and we'll speak soon. Okay, sounds
0: great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at RSNHope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.